I just did a 50-day challenge live on YouTube. I closed 125 contracts in 50 days. We don't manufacture deals, we find deals. And if you're sitting there and you're trying to manufacture that deal, then it's probably going to be a mistake. The hard part becomes dispo. How the heck do you manage closing just deals everywhere? You have to get good at asking questions to get them to What's up, Wealth Builders? Today, I've got the man known as the King Closer. This guy wins every single event. And he's also told me that he takes credit for actually discovering me as a person before I ever, uh, (laughs) you know, started doing social media. But I actually brought him in because, you know, now in um, my house living business, we are doing nationwide wholesaling. And this guy, you know, he's one of the best, if not the best in the entire country at closing deals nationwide over the phone in one call. I was like, bro, you just got to come and let's film a podcast. Let's talk about it. But also I just selfishly really want you to train my team. And so (laughs) I got RJ Bates, the third here. What's up, man? What's up, dude? And I'm not taking credit for it. It is an actual fact. (laughs) You came on my podcast and ever since then you've blown up. I mean, yeah, my son said you're famous. Did you know that? You sent me the video, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude. You know, I take, um, you're welcome. Yeah. That's what I'm, I, I accept your gift to me of, <laughs> of making me famous. I wish I could make myself famous. <laughs> well, this is your first time on my podcast, yes. so maybe I can reciprocate. Yes. But you'll be a famous after this. Okay. So, I mean, look, look at all these belts, uh, dude. So RJ, he goes, should I bring my belts? And I was like, sure. For like, whatever. And he's like, should I bring all of them? And I'm like, yeah, dude, bring them all. Yeah. So he brought literally a carry on bag. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like you're staying the night. You got right. clothes, everything. No, he opens the bag. It's literally just belts. Just belts. Show, let me see the belts. So yeah. like the people can see it. So this is, uh, this is the one that we wanted for the 2023 Closers Olympics. I like this one, man. This one's pretty sweet because they actually put like my face on there. Yeah. Like my company logo, Titanium Investments. It's pretty sweet. 2022 Wholesaling Live Challenge, close a million dollar contract, 16 minutes. And then we got the 2021 closures Olympics. When you say a million dollar contract, like the property is a million or the profit? No, the the property value. Okay. Million dollars. Yeah, yeah. Triplex in Brooklyn, New York is worth 1.8 million. Oh, what what ended up happening? So funny enough, we dispoed it for six figures. Okay. Two attorneys got together, realized we were making six figures. This is why I hate attorney states. Yeah. And they decided. RJ's company doesn't really need to make six figures. Okay. We we should remove RJ's company from this and just go around them. So we actually got circumvented on that and we lost out on the deal. So did you sue the attorneys? Uh, we did not. There's a reason why I felt bad for the seller. Like she actually had some personal issues, family stuff going on. Didn't want to kind of mess yeah. up her life. So also suing attorneys is also like a recipe for disaster. I'm not big on suing. I'm going to be honest with you. Okay. I I don't like doing it. It, I think it's part of doing business as a wholesaler. You're going to lose deals. Yeah. It is what it is. Right. So, so with, you know, this guy, they call the King closer. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they call you that or you just self-proclaimed it's on the belts. I did not, I did not give myself that. Did they already have it printed with your name and everything before the competition began? (laughs) No, no, they, they had to print my name on there. They just had the King Closer belt. That's when you know you're yeah. be a G. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's yeah. funny because I I would make the joke um, when I was in Collective Genius. It's a real estate mastermind, but I only presented three times. And guess what? Every time I won. Every time. Three for three. 
you know, undefeated. I, I, uh, I love the collective genius belts. Yeah. Cause they're know, much, they look higher quality than those belts. It's, it's the same belt as this one right here. Okay. It's the same belt. Here's the reason why I love the collective genius belts. You and Steve Trang win them. Yeah. And I'm like, see, I get paid to win my belts. Y'all have to pay to win yours. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's hey, maybe that's why I'm not in anymore. You know what? I only do things. I get paid. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> if I'm not getting paid, I ain't doing it. I love it. Um, but anyways, dude, so tell everyone a little bit about like what you got going on. Why did I even bring you in today? Well, um, closing deals nationwide, virtual wholesaler, right? Yep. Um, recently I just did a 50 day challenge live on YouTube going live for eight hours a day. I closed 125 contracts in 50 days. That's crazy. And the thing about it is, is that it, it seems crazy until you really reverse engineer it. I mean, it's two and a half contracts a day, two yeah. and a half contracts in an eight hour calling period with inbound leads. Right. So it's really not crazy when you think about it, because I was so efficient on the phone dialing out. I mean, we're, I was pumping out 200, 250 dials a day. Mm -hmm. So that I think right there kind of set a standard for my team on, Hey, this is what can be done as a closer inside of our organization. And then, you know, of course, winning these belts kind of brings a little bit of, uh, an acclaim to like, Hey, this guy knows what he's doing. You give me a call and you're like, Hey, come out here. Help but, my team. You know, the, the reason I gave you a call, honestly, I, I know you like mess around and talk about, um, winning the belts. Yeah. Um, but I didn't like associate that with nationwide wholesaling. I'm just like, Oh yeah. You know, RJ, he's a good sales guy. Like, right. that's cool. Um, but what happened was I had Robert Wensley here like literally, you know, a couple of weeks ago and I'm sure that episode already launched. So just, you know, you guys can go watch that after. And, you know, Robert owns investor lift, which is a, um, software for wholesaling dispositions. And I go, Robert, you know, we got this new program at wealthy investor where we're partnering up with students. We close their deals nationwide. Yep. We have the dispo part down. We have everything you could imagine with investor lift. We have big networks and relationships. Um, you know, all we need is, the students to just submit leads. Like I don't need them to even lock up our own deals, just submit leads and we'll close them. And so like we've closed deals, but I'm like, all right, we can be better. We just, you know, how, how do we do this properly? And so I asked Robert, I said, Hey, um, here's some issues I'm running into issue. Number one, our markets, um, some markets are just not worth our time, right? Like they're trying to wholesale 20,000 our deals. Right. I'm like, this is a waste of time. Um, and then number two was, I was like, okay, and then like sales process. What's different about this versus just our normal deals we've always done for years? And I go, who's the best wholesaler nationwide? Who do you think is the best? And he goes, RJ is the best. And I was like, all right, great. I'm gonna text RJ right now. And then um, you know, I hit you up, and yeah. we hopped on a call for about an hour, and you you kind of walked through some things I never considered. Um, one being that, hey, Detroit's like not a bad market, dude. You just need a price minimum. Yep. You know, if you just set a price minimum there of say a hundred or 200,000, like you're now going to actually start getting into good neighborhoods where wholesaling is actually great. Yeah. And you want to know what's great about that story is, is that I don't think Robert says that prior to the 2023 closures Olympics. Really? He was like the premium sponsor of that event. And so he watched every single one of us go. Yep. And I've been his client for <laughs> two years now. Yeah. Right. Um, and he watched me go in the closures Olympics, win the closures Olympics, 
And then they asked me if I wanted to host Dispo Day, which is the extra bonus day that Robert came up with. Yep. And so me and him were on it together. And then afterwards, he heard some of my feedback during the Dispo Day. And he said, hey, man, would you would you be open to doing a live Dispo of your deal that you locked up during the Closers Olympics? So me and him went live for four and a half hours <laughs> dispoing that deal in Lubbock, Texas from start to finish. Wow. And we sold the deal. And afterwards, he was like, dude, this was incredible. And I think that working together and seeing like, hey, this is more than just about getting on the phone and locking up a deal. It's the the understanding of how we underwrite deals and comp deals and understand where the end buyers are actually going to buy and how we're doing the recon and how we're dispoing these properties across the United States. It's a lot different than just doing a deal in your backyard. So uh, that's really cool that Robert said that to you. And yeah, hey, here we are. Here we are. And it's funny because um, I think most people don't understand, I guess, the speed at which I like to do things. Yeah. And you were like, all right. Yeah. So I was like, no, dude, like I want you to come. And you're like, oh, okay, like, let's see when it's a good time. You know, maybe like after the holidays and maybe like January. I'm like, no, yeah. no, like you don't understand. Like, I want you to come like, like I'm available tomorrow. Dude. Like if you want to, <laughs> like if you're, if you're ready, like I'm ready. You literally said that it was like 6 PM. You're like, I'm available tomorrow. I'm like, yeah, it's, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> we'll figure something out. Yeah. And then, you know, I think you came like a week later yeah. and, uh, yeah. you know, it's great. Um, for me, just watching you obviously from afar and we've talked and we've met at just different events and stuff. Yeah. But, um, I remember one time asking you, we might've been in San Antonio. I was like, how the heck do you manage closing just deals yeah. everywhere? Right. Because like flipping everywhere ain't going to work. That's a recipe no. for disaster. Uh, but I'm like, all right, wholesaling though is tough because you need like locking up the deals easy. Not, I don't want to say easy, but like it's the easier portion. I'm like, the, the hard part becomes dispo. Like, you got to build a buyer's list in all these places. And like in Vegas, we get a deal. I already know who's going to buy it. Yeah. Like, it just is what it is. I'm like, to do that in all these weird towns and all that stuff seems like an absolute unscalable nightmare. And then when Investor Lift came around, I was like, okay, that can solve this problem with this model. Yep. And. It does. It does. And I was like, okay, like now we're talking. This is this is a scalable thing now because I have the students and the resources to get the leads. I have the team mm -hmm. to close the deals. And now I have a way to get rid of the deals. Step one of what I told you guys today is as soon as you're on the phone with the lead, yep. you're taking that address, you're dropping it into your comping software. Yep. And you're dropping it into investor lift. Yeah. I use InvestorLift just as much for acquisitions as I do as for dispositions. Because my thing is, is do I have buyers? Yeah. When we're talking about nationwide, there's so many times where I get a lead. We just sold a deal in Hamilton, Alabama. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even tell you where, where Hamilton, Alabama is. But when I dropped it into InvestorLift, I saw I had buyers there. So now I continue the conversation with the seller to see if I can solve their problem. Whereas three years ago, prior to investor lift, I would have just had to apologize to that seller and say, I can't help you. <laughs> you know, there, I have no buyers list in Hamilton, Alabama. There is no Facebook group to find buyers. Like I, I can't solve your problem. That's, that's a game changer for all of us. I'm surprised more people haven't jumped on to the nationwide model 
because of InvestorLift. Because so many people already have it. I mean, yeah, the majority of people that have been doing volume for years have InvestorLift at this point. So I'm surprised more people haven't jumped on the, the bandwagon. Well, I haven't talked about it yet, so it's probably going to change. So now, now we're opening it up right yeah. now. Yeah. So that's just, it is what it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> But no, on, on like a serious note, like, I think the reason it hasn't happened is my same stigma that I've had for a very long time of, dude, okay, trying to find buyers, dealing with, you know, I, I get it. The acquisition side's not crazy, but the marketing side is what would burn you yep. because you don't know how to, well, okay, this is the other thing too, is like, you know, you don't know how to comp, you don't know the streets, you don't know a lot of things. Okay, but hold on, why do you say that? So many people say, I don't know how to comp. I know. And the reason this, and once again, I'm just going based off like preconceived biases that, I get it. you know, I had before I finally was like, no, actually this like, this is easy. If you could comp in Vegas, you could comp in Tampa. 1000%. I think where people get messed up is the rural weird markets that yeah. have no comps. Right. Right. Like comping in Tampa versus Vegas is easy. Right. They're major markets. Or it's the Detroit's. Yes. Right. Or the places with like, Random row houses, Baltimore's, Philadelphia's, Connecticut's. We, like, we did get a bunch of Philadelphia deals. We're like, what the heck is going on? Right. Here? You're like, I don't know. We've never even seen this before. I don't know what this is. Right. Is this a condo? Is it a townhouse, a row house? I don't know. Yeah. There's going to be those scenarios, but more often than not, it's just a typical three to 1200 square feet. Yeah. Find the blueprint property, whatever it is, find three of them. There you go. Move on to your next. Yeah. No. And I think, like you said, you know, the softwares are good enough. Like we have our own wealthy deals one that all yep. of our students have. Like that works well enough just to get an idea of the ballpark. Like, yeah. you know, when you're going and this is something for you to, to, to wonder, like when we're comping properties, okay. You said something interesting where you were like, look, I'm not necessarily always just looking at ARV and everything. Sometimes I'm just looking at what it tells me as the, as of, as is value or, you know, sometimes I don't even look at the numbers. I'm just looking at like, the sales around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause specifically in like lower income areas where a lot of leads are going to come in in like the Midwest and the Sunbelt areas where, yeah, maybe you do have houses that are selling for 200,000, 175,000. It's more important to look at where are like actual investors buying properties. Why are they going to buy your property for 50,000? If they can go pick up a property off the MLS for 25,000, <laughs> like, yeah, it makes no sense. I mean, you flip houses. Yeah. If I tried to sell you a house for 50000 and you could pick one up off the MLS for twenty you you're going to laugh at me. Yeah. That's where we got our teeth kicked in when we started going to some of these lower income areas is that, hey, we were reverse engineering our numbers just like it was Dallas-Fort Worth or Vegas or Phoenix. Yeah. And it's not the case. You're it's like, those numbers work. <clears throat> but they're like, yeah, but I can go buy 20 of these right now. Exactly. Without so, you. You have to understand where the end buyer's actually buying. And when we shifted our mindset to that in comparison to trying to come up with a MAO, maximum allowable offer, that really changed things where it's like, hey, this is where our buyer's going to buy. And this is the reason why. And kind of the acquisitions is empowering the dispositions manager with that information. Mm. This is the reason why the end buyer is going to buy this deal. And when we made that change, because I do, I do a lot of the acquisitions for our company because I love it. It's what I do. It's so funny. And so many people are like, RJ, when are you going to get out of the seat? I think you've asked me that before. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, hey, when are you going to get out of it? When I want to. I've, I've done it for a while, multiple times. And then when I get back in the seat, it's empowering. Just like you get the rush from playing golf. Yeah. It's like, I enjoy this. This is what I like to do. And when I sit in that seat and I then come up with like, hey, this is the way that you should dispo this deal because this is the information that I gathered during the acquisitions process. It's so much easier for our dispo guys to be able to sell the properties that way. Mm -hmm. So like when I was talking to your team this morning, I'm like, hey, it all starts with acquisitions. Acquisitions is the heartbeat of your business. And it's our job to empower everybody after us, the TC, the dispo managers, everybody. It's our job to give them all of the information and explain why this is a deal. Mm. I love it. So what even led you down the path of nationwide? Like what were you doing before? Well, it all started when... Cassie and I spent $65,000 on my mom's credit card to learn how to do real estate here in Vegas. Oh, really? Yeah. August 2014, we were at the Luxor learning from uh, old Flip in Vegas. Scott, on, uh, Scott Yancey. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we didn't learn a whole lot. We we learned, <laughs> how, we learned how to get deals off the MLS. Yep. And Dispo on Craigslist. That was what we got for $65,000. Yep. And so for the first two years... We were doing all of our deals off the MLS and it really kind of dried up pretty quick where I have a, I have a pretty big appetite. Yeah. So it's like after a couple of months, I'm like, okay, I've seen every house on the MLS in Dallas, Fort Worth. I was like, let's go to San Antonio. Let's go to Austin. Let's go to Houston. And then it was like, this is back in 2014. Yeah. It was like, well, what's keeping us in Texas? Let's go to, I started looking up where the biggest assignment fees and I saw Portland, Oregon, Phoenix, Arizona, Baltimore, Maryland. So it's like immediately within 2015, we were already in multiple states because we were just doing deals off the MLS and there wasn't enough for us to keep up the volume that we wanted. Mm. So that's what led us down that path. We didn't go full all 50 states until COVID of 2020. Mm. So, so you were probably in how many states? 26, 26 states prior to 2020. <laughs> I mean, that's basically all of them. <laughs> I, mean, like, I thought you were going to be like, yeah, you know, we were in Cali. And, I, and I avoided Montana, Wyoming, <laughs> the Dakotas, all the places you played minor league baseball. Yeah, I, dude, I'm the mayor of Fargo. That's what, you know, <laughs> I was like, hey, what do you think about Fargo? As a, like, I loved living out there. You're like, dude, no, no. And I'm like, why? And you're like, you told the team that, that they just, know, they all know each other. They all know each other. Yeah. It was, it was ridiculous. We got a deal in Sioux Falls. Yeah. And it was like, it was the most sad dispositions. <laughs> like we had the seller calling us saying, why are you calling my cousin trying to sell them my house? I mean, it was just like, we're so sorry. We'll send you the termination. Like, we're, <laughs> I'm embarrassed. Yeah. This is not going to work out. Uh, that reminds me of uh, Anchorman. Uh, he's like, I'm, I'm embarrassed. Just <laughs> <laughs> um, but with, with that, like even to backtrack, right. You, you just mentioned, um, Cassie and you know, she's like working right now, which yeah. is great. Yeah. Um, so how did you guys even meet? So Cassie and I became friends, uh, what was it? 17 years ago. Uh, -huh. uh, our significant others were all working together. And we were just young, dumb, and stupid in our 20s. Started hanging out. Spent way too many nights in the bars just hanging out in our 20s. 
And then I, I worked, my first job was a pizza hut delivery driver, became shift manager, became an assistant manager, became a general manager. Dang. I did not know that. And How so old were you? I started at 18. Oh, so literally the Saturday, Texas? yeah. Saturday after my last high school football game, mom woke me up at 8 a.m. said, don't come home until you have a job. <laughs> and she was serious. Why? Why was she so strict? Like, I don't that? know. Just, she didn't want you to go to college. She was just like, get well, a job. Well, I still had high school. She wanted me to start paying for gas and food. And oh, yeah. you were in high school. In high school. That. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so it was like, hey, go get a job. So when got the job, went to North Texas, worked through college, and uh, just kind of. What were you going to college for? <laughs> Business until I realized that was a lot of math. So <laughs> then it was like kinesiology. Bowling, golf, badminton. This sounds amazing. And I could be a football coach. Yeah. So I went for kinesiology. Oh. Because I wanted to be a football coach. That's yeah. what I always wanted to do. Um, even though I knew there was no money in it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There I had a weird like I knew I was gonna be an entrepreneur, but I also wanted to be a football coach. Mm. You know, 18. Don't know what you want to do with your life. Um We were the opposite. <laughs> I was like, I'm just playing baseball, dude. And I'm like, crap, I have to make money. Ah. <sighs> I'm forced into this. Yeah. I just wasn't good enough to play sports. So it was like, okay, I'm going to be coach. Yeah. You know? That's what coaches usually do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Those who can't do coach. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, that eventually led to corporate guy from Pizza Hut comes into my restaurant. And essentially when you take over a restaurant, it's like flipping a house. You mm -hmm. only take over because the guy before you retired or because he got fired. Yeah. It's, it's and, going to pieces. And so I took over because he got fired. Yeah. And corporate guy shows up and goes, we should have never promoted you. You're an overglorified shift manager. Mm. And I had dedicated eight years of my life. Dang. And so I pretty much just said, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> it was like the light bulb came off and I was like, how, how old were you there? 26. So you've been working there eight years. Yeah. What, what are you making? Uh, 35 a year. Dang. Yeah, like That's no crazy. Nothing, bro. Nothing. That was all you did. Yeah. Dude, that's nuts. Yeah. It's 26. Like you just didn't care or what? Like you weren't ambitious? Like, cause uh, you had a kinesiology degree. So I, I didn't finish. Uh -oh. I quit to do Pizza Hut. You, I mean, you I quit college to pursue Pizza Hut. Yes. Okay. Like, dude, so I <laughs> didn't know what I want to do in my life yet. I knew but I you was thought Pizza Hut was the way. I don't think so. I just think I didn't know anything better yet. It was like at some point in time, I just <laughs> need like the kick. But dude, side note. This this is not a popular opinion, but I think Pizza Hut's the best. No. Yeah, I do. Do you want me to tell you? What do you think's the best? Well, <laughs> I don't want you to tell me what Pizza Hut does. No, I don't want to know. You don't want to know? Okay, just, all right, what is it? It's, it's not bad. I mean, it's just, it's frozen dough, you know what I mean? It's kinda, well, yeah. I mean, it's not. That's normal. That's all I good. think Domino's is better. That's what everyone says. Everyone likes Domino's. Papa John's gets votes. Just. Maybe you shouldn't have said I was an overglorified shift manager. No, I enjoy Pizza Hut the best. And the reason is um, I'm a stuffed crust pizza guy. You know what that is? It's what? just it's hand toss crust with string cheese just wrapped in around it. That makes perfect sense. You can make it at home. Dude. Just take a piece of string cheese and just roll the crust over. That's mm. all it is. I'm going to do that. Do you know what the worst thing that happens on busy nights is when you run out of stuffed crust pizza? People you have to love prep it. it. Oh. And then it, when you run out, there's someone in the back just literally putting pieces of string cheese. <laughs> like, <laughs> Does Pizza Hut just kill it on stuffed crust or what? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, 
Oh, dude. You're okay. giving me PTSD right no, now. No, dude. So I got a question too about this. Oh. So yeah, because whenever I say I like Pizza Hut, like people get weirded out. Yeah. I will also say on, you know, not good opinion, but I also don't mind Little Caesars, which is like cardboard, but I don't mind it. No, that's wrong. I know. Yeah. I, I feel bad admitting it. But. Pizza Hut, Domino's, Papa John's. Okay. Yeah. Those. No, I know Little Caesars is like, it's, 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 it's shameful. It's like, it's when things are real bad. Like, oh, I know. Hey, I know. Kids practices over at 9 p.m. Oh, yeah. Feed the kids, whatever. Dude. Five dollars. Yeah. Like, right, <laughs> yeah. Get it. Let's go home. Yeah. yeah but so no. one company I don't know how they have an existence is Papa Murphy's. I've never understood how have you ever business. had one. I just don't understand the comp the the the. No, I've never had one. OK, but it's good. I, I bet it's good. I'm not disputing that. I just don't understand the business model of me picking up a frozen pizza. I could just buy a DiGiorno's. I don't understand why anyone does it. Because it's it's Pizza Hut quality uh-huh. without the weight. Have you I ever, have to cook it. it. But have you ever <laughs> tried to get a Pizza Hut pizza on 7.30 p.m. on a Friday night? No, I mean, like I'll just, I'll just get it delivered. But it takes forever. So I'm going to go drive to Papa Murphy's, yep. pick up this frozen pizza, yep. heat up the oven, it's not very much different. They also make a pizza on top of a pizza. So you know how you like stuffed crust? Uh-huh. They have stuffed pizza. Now that's interesting. It's like two pizzas that's like a, on. That's like a uh, tostada. Yeah. Okay. It's Or not a tostada. There's something. like Literally, <laughs> as you're eating it, you're like, I am, I'm going to have a heart attack. Yeah. This like, is at least 5,000 calories. Yeah, I should stop. This is not good. But I still, in my mind, I just can't comprehend how Papa Murphy's kills it. Bro, I've got a question. Okay. Do you eat Panda Express like every day? You know, there was a period of my life, yeah, where okay. that, that, was, that and, was for many years. And yeah. your dad forced you to eat McDonald's every day? For, for a period of my life, like, yeah, almost a decade. And you eat yep. Little Caesars? Yeah, for a period of my life when I was in college, I eat Little Caesars. What is, how? <laughs> how are you skinny, bro? <laughs> what? what is happening? Uh, genetics, dude. That's all it is. Bro, that's <laughs> not right. <laughs> I'm disciplined though. So I, I work out every day and I, yeah. And dude, genetics. Did you just hit me with, I'm disciplined? Yeah. I'm disciplined on eating my egg McMuffin and orange chicken what, every day. You know, my, my acquisitions guy, Michael, who you said is going to just yeah. absolutely crush it. He's yeah. been with me like six years. And so like him and I are in Bible study together. I actually found him in prison, by the way. I don't know if he told you. No. So like literally I met him in Bible study and it was like his first one. He's like, yeah, I just got out of prison. I'm like, oh, tight. <laughs> Happy to have you. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'm looking for a job. I don't really know what to do. And like, I watched him for like a couple of Bible stuff. Cause I wasn't going to be like, oh, I got you. Right. I was like, yeah, I don't really know what this guy's all about. And then um, after a while, I was like, you know what, dude, come to my office and like, let's see you hit the phones. Right. And then, you know, that's cool. He never left. Um, But why did I bring him up? Discipline. Oh, discipline. Yeah, because him and I were workout partners too for many years. Yeah. And he was like, Ryan, he'll tell people, he's like, Ryan is the most disciplined person you've ever seen in your life other than one thing. He's like, he'll never miss a workout. He'll never miss like working or a video or anything that needs to happen. He will not do anything wrong. Right. He's like, but he has no discipline when it comes to eating. He will eat sweets. He will eat Panda Express. He will eat pizzas. And like, but you know, for me, I'm like, well, I still look at, so like, what's yeah. the point? It works. It works. 
I think at some point in time before we got off on fast food, yeah, we were talking about me working. Yeah, dude. How did you work eight years for $35,000 at Pizza Hut? Dude, it wasn't good, but it's the same thing as you. Like you did minor league baseball. Yeah, for- but my payoff could have been millions of dollars in glory. Yeah. You had no payoff for Pizza Hut. Yeah, but at some point in time, <laughs> like you knew, like you weren't going to make it, right? Yep. Okay. I, what I was looking at was, is I'm getting experience that otherwise I wasn't willing to get in college. Uh-huh. That was the the trade-off for me because I was getting like training from a fortune 500 company. Got it. So, I mean, like they were putting me through, like, here's how you read a PL. You're going to have weekly meetings with your area manager about how you're controlling food costs and labor costs and how we were, I was you learned a lot. running a business. Yeah. You ran a lot. You and, learned. and so from that perspective, I do give them a lot of credit. They did train me well on that. I still use some of the, the tactics that they trained me back then in our business. Today. Like what? Well, for example, like the excuse plus a story. Okay. That is one of the things that they told us way back at the time in my mid twenties, I was like, this is stupid, but Essentially, I heard it today from some of your guys. Uh-huh. Like, here's the excuse, but let me tell you the story. Okay. And it's like, no, no, no. It needs to be, here's the reason, and here's my solution. Mm, okay? Got it. Like, you're telling me why something isn't happening, and what I want you to tell me is, is how you're going to make this get fixed. Right. Because at the end of the day, every employee here, job is to solve a problem, either for a seller or for the company. Yeah. If they're not offering a solution, then at the end of the day, you, their paycheck is going to resemble that. Yep. Especially when they're commission only. Mm-hmm. So just that one thing right there from Pizza Hut telling me a decade ago, telling me that makes a huge difference for our students, for anybody that I bring in to work in my company. Mm-hmm. That's just one of the many stories that they taught us. You know, what do you think about this is an interesting thing. I've always thought about with like fast food and stuff is, you know, you are getting like low level employees, yep. you know, minimum wage, the turnover is super high. Um, whereas like, I've never had to really deal with that. Like I don't have a business that requires that. Like I just need skilled people who are hungry and want to grow. How do you deal with managing that where everybody's like goal is to like leave? <laughs> so what I focused on was getting a lot of part-time employees okay. that were doing it for supplemental income. So that way they didn't want to leave. Yeah. It was like a side hustle for them. So a lot of, you know, guys that had full-time jobs that were like, Hey, I just need 20 extra hours because I'm trying to pay for my wife's school or we just had a baby and we need to get additional income to get a house or an additional car or something like that. A lot of those, they were good. They were long-term employees, three, four, five years. So that's what we focused on there. Got it. So in the end, though, they basically told you you weren't worth much. Yes. And you got pissed. Yeah. And that was finally where you're like, all right, I'm over this. Cashed in my 401k Uh immediately. What what was that worth? 8k. You killed it. (laughs) Bro. (laughs) Straight up. (laughs) Destroyed it. Eight years. 35% taxes on my 8k, baby. (laughs) Yeah. Took that and got a lease option from an investor. Oh. And this was after Kiyosaki. Uh, or not Kiyosaki. I mean, um, no, no, no. Before. Yancey? Oh, this is before. Okay. This is before. Okay. Yeah. So whole family is like, what's wrong with you? You just quit your job, cash in your 401k and now bought a house on a lease option. Like, 
Are you going through like a midlife crisis in your mid twenties? How'd you know to do a lease option? I didn't. I saw a, like lease to own, and I called the seller, and he was an investor. And what he ended up doing was a sandwich lease option, which I didn't even know at the time what he was doing. And I realized he made a freaking killing on it. I ended up making like six figures off of me. But uh-huh. I didn't have the credit or anything like that. I mean, I was making thirty-five k a year. You yeah. Know? I mean, well, you didn't have a job at that point either. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I. I, I knew I was like, okay, I'm either going to go back to school or I'm going to figure something out. Right. Went, worked at a cart boy at two or 18 golf course, making seven twenty five an hour with a mm. bunch of 18 year old kids. There you go. And they're like, you're a general manager. Like, what are you doing here? I'm like, figuring out what I want to do in my life. <laughs> and then Cassie about a month later said, we should start our own business. And that was like the push that I needed. We were, you know, best friends. And she made that comment to me. And I knew how well connected we were yeah. as far as like our personalities really mesh well. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because I didn't know that we were like perfect as a partnership. Um, but now we've taken predictive index tests. Yeah. I'm a venturer. She's a captain. Yeah. She's a very high visionary captain. I'm a very high visionary venturer. So I need a captain. And it was funny because there was just like this feeling of like, we would work well together on a partnership. So we started a business. Um, It was funny um, with my best friend, Elijah, um, in 2010. That was our first business that we started. He had a a roofing background. um, And so he started a company where we were doing insurance supplements for general contractors. Hailstorm hits a, a roof. They pay out 10 grand. They missed four or five items. We were supplementing that claim and taking a percent of what we boosted the claim for. Mm. So super simple business to run. It was just basically like doing recon on the property, finding what items they missed, talking to the adjusters and getting them to boost the claim. We did that for a couple of years. Eventually that company got sold and we started at that point. We had all these employees that were working for us and we're like, Hey, you guys have been talking like roofing contractors, but you're not actually being a roofing contractor. Why don't we go out and actually try to sell some roofs? Yeah. That led to us selling roofs, becoming general contractors, doing remodels. And then eventually in 2014, that's where we got the education to become a wholesaler. Mm. Ever since January 1st, 2015, it's been nothing but real estate investing and wholesaling. Mm. You know, what's cool is that's when I started too. Really? Yep. So I was still playing, but, um, you know, the end of 2014 was when I found out about bigger pockets and yep. I was like, Oh, all I need is a hard money loan. That's all I'm missing. <laughs> and so I bought my first flip, um, February yeah. of 2014. That's awesome. WealthCon's coming back to Vegas, January 8th to the 11th. Now, if you've been to our events, you know how epic they are. We have the best time, not only with just great content, great speakers, but we have a lot of fun with the after parties and the masterminds and everything else. And number one, it's the, probably the best networking opportunity in the entire game. We have over a thousand investors and entrepreneurs at each one, and this will be no different. In fact, this is gonna be my favorite WealthCon ever. We've got some amazing speakers coming, people like Tim Tebow, Thatch Nguyen, Gabrielle Lyon, the list goes on. It is going to be an epic event, and I wanna see you there. So if you're interested in attending, get your tickets now because they will not last. Go to wealthcon.org and get them today. Everyone knows that my favorite way to build wealth is through real estate investing. That's the reason that I started Wealthy Investor, where we've trained thousands of students. But here's the thing. 
I've noticed that so many people fail to get started in real estate because they're worried about the money. They don't know where they're going to get the money to buy a house or flip or handle their renovations and things like that. And so they just never get started. I want to change that. And that's why I created a brand new free course that goes over five different ways that you could buy houses without using any of your own money today. And I'm going to give you it completely for free. All you have to do is go to wealthyinvestor.com slash podcast. I've made it specifically for you. The moment you go to that link, you'll be able to go get access to it and learn how you could start buying houses today without any of your own money. And if you're somebody who already has a real estate business and who wants to scale, we want to help you too. You can click the link below and book a free strategy call with our team if that's you. So, you know, you're eight, nine years in now yeah. um, since you went full time. and you know, obviously, like you said, you just stumbled upon this nationwide model very early, yeah. far before things like InvestorLift exist. Like, how hard was it back then, you know, as you were just like, well, we might as well be in all these markets, but you didn't have the dispo tools you have today. So one of the things that one of our hacks back then was uh -huh. is getting connected to some of these big education groups that were teaching uh. nationwide flipping. So one of the big things was, is like, hey, you need to be flipping in Texas. If you don't live in, you know, say like, for example, we had a buyer in Idaho. Uh -huh. He was taught that you need to be flipping in DFW, Houston, Austin, San Antonio. That's, that's so stupid. That's a great market. Hey, listen, he paid 65 grand for that. <laughs> I paid 65 grand to flip out, you know, wholesale off the MLS. Bro, flipping in other states is so hard. Yeah, I, I don't get why that was like a successful model, but that was like our early on hack. Well, there's no, there's no proof. It was a successful model. It was a success. That was successful for us. Well, you selling to them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was not successful for them. I mean, that's what I'm honest. talking about. Yeah. Let's be honest. I yeah, mean, yeah. You're not going to be successful long-term flipping houses everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's just not going to work. Uh, but that was one of the early hacks. Then, you know, there was the grind of scraping Facebook groups for emails, uh, hiring virtual assistants, and, you know, we're pulling lists off of PropStream and Batch and skip tracing and cold calling cash buyers. And, mm -hmm. I mean, there was years of grinding it out and building buyers lists across the country. With That's why until 2020, we did have to really kind of narrow it down. Yeah, like we got some buyers built out over here. Right. Let's really focus in. Like, okay, we're going to focus on St. Louis. We're going to focus on Jacksonville, Florida. Like yeah. these are the places we're going to focus on. And then when COVID hit and, and realistically, when COVID hit and our business was kind of in a tough spot mm -hmm. um, and I came up with the idea to do 50 deals in 50 states in 50 days live on YouTube, it was like, that was my way of trying to change the tide for our company. Um, I had just read the book Relentless by Tim Grover. Yep. And was like, I'm a cleaner. Like, give me the damn ball. I'm going to go win the game in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Cassie was like, why do we have to do Montana? Why do we have to do North Dakota? And I was like, at the end of the day, that's the hook that gets people to tune in to watch this. And I need that. I need that to hold me accountable to get this done. And uh, she found a way to pull it off on the backside. I put her in a pretty tough spot, you know, locking up deals in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or <laughs> Butte, Montana. But she she found a way to make it work for us. Yeah. So speaking of that, right, um, the argument always and this is the argument that I hear all the time, too, with with any business. It's not even just 
nationwide, but pre investor lift and, you know, the ways that we're talking about doing it now, which we'll, we'll go more in depth, but, um, do you think you would have been better served going deep in one market? No, because that wasn't going to satisfy my personality. I mean, I had deep level conversations with guys like Brent Daniels about this, mm-hmm. who is like, dude, we are going as deep as we possibly can in Phoenix, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Like, don't talk to me about any other city. And that's his personality. Yeah. My personality is like, no, I want to figure out a way to where I can go do deals anywhere in the United States. And now when we have these things like these paper lead models that are coming out where at any point in time I can lock up a deal. I don't think that I would be able to do that as well. If we were just super deep in Dallas, Fort Worth. Yeah. And yeah. Ex- explain that. Like I think paper lead, you know, it's a pretty new concept. Yeah. Explain and what it is. So the paper lead model kind of came out and to my knowledge, late 2021. Yeah. Um, and it's really kind of exploded now, you know, this year where, Instead of going out and doing the, you know, pay-per-click, you can just essentially pay someone that's running all these ads, either whether it's YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, Google, paper, whatever. Um, you're just paying them per lead exclusively. Some of them are even non-exclusive if you want to get them for cheaper, but where you're able to get those leads um, and not have to run any of these campaigns, not have any of the ad spend or anything like that, you're saying, like for me, it's, Hey, here's a thousand dollars. I'm going to get 10 leads anywhere in the United States. You don't know where they're coming from. No. Take them, take them or leave them. I mean, it's, it's. So it, wait, they're like, this is the price. Yep. Thousand bucks. You're getting 10 leads. Yep. Could be Dallas. Could be Fargo, North Dakota. Bro, bro. It's like, uh, it's like a pack of cards. Yeah. It's kind of cool. It is. It's like, oh, I got Sally Joe in Fargo. Yeah. This is going to be a good one. Yeah. She's in all like, she. The hologram. Now everything. I just call them and just ask them if they know who Ryan Pineda is. You should. You should say, hey, back in 2016, you know, this guy, <laughs> he didn't have crazy hair at the time, you know, but you probably, you would know him, right? Yeah. We, we, he wants to buy your house. He, he has like, a, <laughs> he'll lowball you. <laughs> <laughs> he'll try to sell it to your cousin. <laughs> uh, I already know the buyers. Yeah, there. exactly. But I mean, the yeah, it is a little bit weird when sometimes you go on a streak of like fifteen in a row and really junk. rural yeah. locations, mobile homes on rented land. But they do a good job of like giving you refunds for things like hey, it was listed, or they don't actually want to sell, or bad numbers, things like that. Yeah. So you're not just burning through your cash, but once you get it built up, like what we were talking about earlier, like hey, let's invest five thousand dollars. That's going to give you fifty leads. Yep. Then from there, you should be able to get about seven contracts. Our average assignment fee is about just south of 15000 So it's a little bit less than the nationwide average um, because we're not getting those super Seattle, yeah. Vegas, Phoenix kind of assignments. Um, so say it's 14000 you're walking away with like 100000 gross. Yeah. I mean, can't be that. You're going to turn around and invest, you know, 2025, and then you got the ball rolling. So explain to me this, right? Like you right now, um, you know, you're doing this paper lead thing and like, you know, you're getting great returns. You yourself are closing cause you enjoy it. Yep. You have other acquisitions teams. Um, my mind is immediate. Like, like, bro, I mean, if you're getting those kind of returns, just give me 10 acquisition guys and let's go nuts. 
Yeah. Like why, why hasn't that like happened yet? Well, part of it is, is that you do open up Pandora's box when it comes to the TC side of things, the disposition side of things, the recon side of things. I mean, it's not as simple as like, okay, I'm locking up a deal and it's Insta dispo like it is here in Vegas. Right. I mean, we are, there's a lot of work on the, there is work on the disposition side of things. That is the downside of this, right? So we kind of flipped the script. A lot of times people have the difficulty on the acquisitions because Dispo is super easy because you're in Vegas or Phoenix. Yep. I My personality is, is I want volume. I want to have the ability to know, hey, we've got 25, 30, 40 properties under contract at any point in time that we can monetize as long as we can get them sold. Yeah. And you so, have opportunities. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's just a lot more work. Like when we were talking to your team today, we were talking about, hey, within the first 48 hours, we want a minimum of 20 or not 20, 200 calls made to buyers. And it was kind of like, yeah, even I'm like raising my eyebrows. Like, like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, no, no, no. Like our deals like kind of sell themselves. And it's like, not anymore. Not anymore. Like We're going to have to work. We need more manpower on the dispo side. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it could be worth it. Um, it's just a different way of kind of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. So dispo becomes much harder. Yep. Um, I guess my question is, you know, with this model, um, you know, one thing you, you talk about a lot and that's what's got you those belts is like this one call close. Yep. Like what exactly is that? So one of the things that I've kind of differentiated myself from almost everyone in the industry is reversing the the closing process where almost everyone wants to verify that they want to sell, talk about condition, talk about timeline, build rapport, and then talk about the numbers and the price and going for the close. Um, I'm very polar opposite of that. It's, hey, do you want to sell? How much are you looking to get for the property? Then I open up with open-ended questions. I don't go into specifics about condition. I don't go into specifics about the timeline. It's just tell me a little bit about what you got going on. Allow the seller to tell me what's most important from them. And then really kind of use my ability to carry conversation through open-ended questions, kind of pull out what's most important to the seller, and then see if I can match their asking price. So a lot of times we're not even giving an offer. Actually, that was one of the big things with your team today was, is removing the word offer from the vocabulary. Mm. Um, We don't want to say that we want to see if we can give the seller what they want. This eliminates the seller remorse sellers wanting to back out of contracts, Um, really kind of putting ourselves in the best position possible to close the deal um, because they're happy with it. And it's a win for us. It's a win for the seller and it's a win for the end buyer as well. So what would you say from a sales perspective that when you just go and accept an offer, you know, a seller instantly thinks, oh crap, I could have got more. So one of the things that we do there is what we call reverse rapport. And I'm glad you brought that up because this was a big kind of light bulb moment for your team this morning was So we're just giving the seller what they want and it's about building credibility and then kind of giving them the understanding that we're making this a win-win across the board and explaining how we're the experts in the situation. 
And when they kind of realize that when we build the rapport through the credibility and how we're solving their problem, and we really dive into understanding what their pain and motivation is, the example that I gave today was, is there's a gentleman with an amputated leg that his bathroom no longer had floors and he needed to sell his property because with the amputated leg and the floor missing in the bathroom, I mean, he was in a pretty bad spot. Yeah. And through the reverse rapport with me talking to him about how we were going to solve his problem, understanding how he was going to get moved, understanding how, how he was going to receive the funds. It's crazy how many people don't know how a real estate transaction actually takes place. Yeah. We do it all day, every day. This might be one to three times in their life. They ever do a real estate transaction. So really breaking down that credibility kind of eliminates that. Like, I think I could have gotten more because we're not just diving into saying, okay, yep, I can give you a hundred thousand for your house. It's yeah. about solving their problem and that credibility side of things. Yeah. I just kind of wonder like, um, to like reframing it of, you know, let's just say I'm going to accept their offer. Right. You're like, Hey, what do you want? And they say, Oh, I want, you know, 70 K hundred K whatever. Right. And you know, you're not just like, yeah, okay, let's do the deal. Right. You're right. like, okay. You know, and you just kind of go into whatever you say, right? But now I'm saying, tell me a little bit about what you got going on. Exactly. Now you're going to tell me the most important thing to you. Yep. And now I have to find more out about that than what you just told me. Mm -hmm. You're going to tell me four minutes of information. I need to get 10 minutes of information out of you. That's where the skill set for the closer has to come in. You have to get good at asking questions to get them to tell you more than they originally tell you. Yeah. If you can do that, then you're going to crush it. That's why I told you your team's going to crush it because they, I saw their ability to continue conversations today mm -hmm. that a lot of people lack the ability to do that. That's good. So you're going to, you know, have this conversation with them for 10 minutes. Well, you're not even having a conversation. They're just telling you about yep. stuff. Right. And so basically you're like, all right, so what do you want for it? They say a hundred thousand. And is your response from there just simply like, well, you know, we're not, you're not paying any closing costs. You're not paying any realtor fees. We cover all that. You know, it's a net offer to you. So like, is that the best you can do? And I asked them, what's the best you can do for me? What's the best you can do for me? So it's that wording every time. Yes. So what's the best you can do for me? It's amazing when you ask people a question a certain way. Is that the best you can do? Or is that the best you can do for me? People want to do things for you. Yeah. Changing one or two words. I heard one of you guys get on the phone and just naturally he, he couldn't help himself. He was like, Hey, you talked to someone on my team about selling your property. Give me a call back so I can give you that cash offer. I said, dude, you're screwing yourself. Okay. Cause now he's going to call you back and say, so what's my cash offer? Right. Now you have to figure out condition, timeline, motivation, all this information to then make an offer. When the way I taught you was the second question you ask him is, is what's his price to figure out if this is even a seller we need to talk to. Right. Now you're asking them to give you their offer. Right. Yeah. And here's the thing. We're the buyer. They're the seller. How was I able to get two and a half contracts a day? Because I talked to more people than everybody else. If you're going to spend 45 minutes talking to a seller that wants too 50, much 50,000 more than retail. Yeah. 
that's on you because you were building rapport <laughs> and you were doing all these things. You're trying to get you know right off the bat. I'm building rapport when I know that this is the seller I'm going to do business with. Yeah. Let's okay. We're, we're in range. Cool. So tell me. Yes. How does now, that make you feel? Now, you, now you we're going to yeah. start building a relationship. Yeah. And again, like I told you guys, we're not going to build rapport by wanting to understand what their dog's name is or what they're going to do this weekend. We're going to build rapport by being the expert in the conversation and credibility. Yeah. Now they trust us. That's all we want with the rapport. We don't want to go in the friend zone. Yep. We want them to trust us that we are going to take care of their real estate needs. Yeah. And I think it's important to be somewhat authoritative in everything you're doing. Um, and you showed a funny call that you did to the team where somebody was like, you're like, hey, so yeah, what, what do you want for the house? Right. And they're like, oh, I don't know. And you're like, well, didn't you submit a, you know, don't you want to sell the property? Yeah, didn't you submit online that you wanted to sell the property? And they're like, yeah. So what do you want for it? Mm -hmm. And they're like, I don't know. And then you were like, well, when you do know what you want for it, how about you just give me a call back? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, whoa. And what happened? She was like, I want a hundred thousand. Exactly. I was like, I've never seen that one. That one was good. And and listen, the reason yeah. why is because if you go into every single call, the mindset that you're the buyer, this is what I talked about today is, is like, hey, if you have $500,000 in your bank account, first of all, think about how hard you had to work to get $500,000 in your bank account. Majority of people out there will never have that, right? Mm -hmm. You have $500,000 in your bank account and you're on the phone with a seller. And they say, I want $250,000 for my property. Mm -hmm. How serious are you going to take that conversation before you stroke a check for $250,000? Very serious. Let's say that forget hard money loans, other people's money and all that. Yeah. You're going to take, I say, go into every single call like that scenario right there. Yeah. When you go into every single call like that, I don't care that you're wholesaling it. Yeah. You're trying to figure out where your end buyer will buy this property. And if it's a win for them. Yeah. If it's a win for them and it's a win for the seller, it's a win for us. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, that is where the mindset shifts where it's like, dude, I, I don't want to play this game where I'm going to make you an offer and try to guess and see if this is a win for you. Yeah. Because the next seller will be motivated and want to tell me how much they want for the property. And then we can have just a casual conversation about it. Mm hmm. So it's just a change in the mindset going into these calls. Yeah. So you're just straight up asking them. And I guess what I was thinking was, okay, so they said, yeah, I, I do a hundred. And you say, is that the best you do for me? And they say, yeah, you know what, RJ, I like you. You know, you got that nice beard. I heard <laughs> you won the closer Olympics. Like I, I do 90 for you. Okay. Now you bring up the closer Olympics there and the nice beard. I want you to know something. During the 50-day challenge, 125 contracts, 13 of them came from Instagram and TikTok of them watching my reels, talking to other sellers. Mm. Is that not crazy? They watched me on TikTok buying someone else's house and then said, huh, I'll sell my house too. Wow. 13 contracts came from that. And then multiple times I've been live on YouTube and the seller has jumped on the YouTube live while I'm on the phone with them. And they're like, are you on YouTube right now talking to me? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, cause you tell them. Yeah. They're like, they're, they're on the chat watching. They're like, this is crazy. <laughs> 
and, and, and then we get a signed contract from it. Yeah. So, so are we going to do this or not? Yeah. It's like, yeah, I mean, this is going to be really embarrassing for me if like you don't sign at this point. Yeah. Like you're, you're watching me <laughs> get embarrassed. So are we going to, yeah. Well, I'm going to need that email right now. <laughs> yeah. Like literally we're going to have to walk through this right this second. What's your social? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're watching this show. My guess is you're probably an entrepreneur who's trying to grow your business. And for me, the best thing I ever did to grow my business was build my personal brand on social media. It's allowed me to get more revenue. It's allowed me to raise more capital and it's allowed me to hire better talent. And if you are not currently creating content, for your brand, you're missing out and your competition is. So if you want to learn to grow, my advice is to create a podcast. Now there's a lot that goes into building a podcast and why I believe it's the best way. So I've actually created a free training that I want you to go check out. If you go to panadamedia.com slash podcast, you can go access the free training right now and see how a podcast is going to be the best decision to grow your personal brand today. So go check it out by clicking the link below and I'll see you in the training. Like, how does the close go? Because in my mind, once again, if you just are like, okay, 90, all right, that's fair. Like, let's do it. I think you could do that. I think, um, you know, some people would go the roundabout way. They'd say, they wouldn't ever agree. They would just say, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you a DocuSign and, you know, I need your email and we're going to go over this contract real quick. Does that sound good? Like you didn't ever really agree. You're just right. kind of going to the next stage. I think another play is, and maybe at this point it doesn't really matter, but like another play is like, look, you know, I could play games and, you know, try to get you down to 70 or 80 and like play that. But, you know, 90 is fair. Um, and I don't really want to play games. I just, you know, if, if that works for you, that's going to work for me too. So one of two things has to happen there. We're yeah. not, we're off on price a little bit. So we have to offer some sort of range to get them to come down. So say a hundred thousand was the price that the seller set. Yeah. And we need to be at 90. Yeah. You know, I'm going to hit them with, you know, I appreciate you being candid about where you need to be. I need to be somewhere closer to 90. Yeah. Is that possible? And then educate them on why I need to be at 90, mm -hmm. which is a huge difference where like, it's very, it's a very candid conversation where I'm actually talking about after repair value, holding costs, closing yep, costs, yep. repairs. Like I, actually, I used to do that too. Like breaking it down. And the funny thing about it is, is like we use the, the saying it's math, not magic. And when you say that to a seller, suddenly it takes the emotion out of it. Yeah. Where it's like, it is math. So where are we going to argue about these numbers? Yeah. And, and it's only our profit. That's all they can argue about. Yep. So realistically, it comes down to they're, they're flat out going to have to say, I don't want you to make money that much money. I yeah. want you to make $10,000 less. Yeah. And that's really hard for a person to say. So there's that scenario. It's a scenario in which we're okay with the price. We're going to walk them through the next steps of what's going to happen. Yeah. Okay, so you're good with 90. All right, here's what's going to happen next. I'm sending you the agreement. We're going to come out. We're going to do our walkthrough in the next couple of days. We're going to open up escrow. Mm -hmm. If everything checks out the way that we talked about today, then we're good to move forward at this price. If it's not, then we're going to have to have a conversation about what we discovered during our walkthrough. Right. So we're setting ourselves up for, hey, we're buying this site unseen. If we need to renegotiate, this is the reason why. Yeah. It's funny, man, because 
I haven't done sales training in a long time, but that was one of the things I always did with sellers is like basically my last resort, right? Because if we were close, like you said, and they're like, ah, I just can't budge. I'm like, all right, is it cool if I just be transparent with you about how this deal is going to play out and why I would do it? And I'm like, sure. But all right. Your house, when I fix it up, is going to be worth 300 grand, right? And you're telling me, you know, you'll take 240 right now. And that may seem like you're giving me a deal, but let me just explain to you why it's not, <laughs> right? At, two, at 300, I'm going to pay, you know, 8% in all these fees. Let's just round up to 10 because there'll be some repair requests and all these things, right? Explain it a little more in depth. But I mean, right there, that's 30 grand right off the top. Yep. Okay. I also do need to fix up the home. We've talked about that in order to get that 300 grand. That's not worth that right now. I'm going to need to go put 30 grand into this. So at this point, I'm now at your 240 number, Yep. not even accounting for other things that I have to do. You know, one thing I always do is I get investors in my deals. And so I have to pay them interest because at the end of the day, I don't just have all the money in the world. You know, I'm going to buy multiple properties this week. I'm not just sitting on $30 million. If I was, I wouldn't be talking to you, quite frankly. And so I'm here to make a deal, but I also have to make my company money. And it costs money to even get you to call us. So, you know, if I go and pay them, now I'm at 220, you know, like that's my break even point when it's all said and done. So when you're asking for 240, it just doesn't make sense. And what's crazy about being that transparent with a seller is, is that when you're done and you sit in silence. Yeah, I'd just be like, so why would I do the deal? Right. Now they are actually thinking on the level in which we want them to be thinking, which is on the numbers, understanding where we are because we were fully transparent. Yep. Where does the argument go? It's either going to go really well for you and they're going to sign the contract Mm -hmm. or it's going to go sideways because the emotion and the the illogical side of that person. Yeah, then there's nothing out. you can really do. And we sh- we just found out that we probably didn't want to be doing business with them anyways. Exactly. And like even the numbers I just gave, like I would, you know, that's not even really that close. But let's just say 240 was the break even, right? And they're asking, uh, you know, 250, right? So my profit's 10 grand if I was to do this deal right now. And you know, like for me, I'm always thinking in terms of a flip, like what would a flipper pay? Right. Um, and so it's just like, hey, let me ask you a question, right? We just went through the numbers. You agree. Would you do all the work required and take all the risk we are talking about in this market with these interest rates, with this much uncertainty, with this old man in the White House who I don't know what he's about to do? Okay. Would you do that for 10 grand? Like that's the upside? And they'll yeah. be like, no. I'd be like, why are you asking me to do that? Right. You know, I mean, but if you, if you really want to sell your house, put it on the MLS, like you don't need me. And I, then- I will <laughs> say in the, that, num- that line right there is we put sellers in one of three buckets. Mm-hmm. It's, do you want to sell? What's your asking price? What's going on from there? We should know price and motivation. Mm-hmm. If there's no price and mo- no motivation, that bucket we instantly refer them to a realtor and we're off the phone. Yeah. I probably said that line right there. Like, why haven't you listed with a realtor? Mm-hmm. This is what realtors exist for yeah. you yeah. right here. Yeah. Like I need to move on to the next seller. If the price is wrong, but there's motivation, those are the more common calls for us. Mm-hmm. 
It's about diving in to understand where they got that price and then explaining and educating that their motivation has to match with price. Exactly. And then the ideal scenario is price and motivations, right? And that's just lay down. Exactly. Yeah, those are lay downs. Right. But like what we're talking about is they're obviously motivated and we're close. And now I'm just explaining to them like, look, this makes no sense for me. You already agree. You wouldn't buy this if you were me either. So your only option is to list for, to do what you want to do. Yep. And you know, so I, and, and then this is having the, the guts to just walk away. Right. Where you're just like, we can list it for you. Like, I, I don't mind doing that. I'll make 10 grand listing it for you. Exactly. I would rather list it for you <laughs> than risk everything to make 10. Exactly. Let's just do that. And then they're like, oh, well, you know. And this is this is the thing is like I tell everybody, you cannot have a fear of walking away from a deal and the fear of like, I lost out. No, you didn't. It's like, no, we were talking today about a deal that when we ran the numbers, it was like your boy, Mike he felt like he missed out on an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we actually ran the numbers, it was like, no, this was a blessing from God that you didn't get this deal right here. Yeah. And it's all about that market understanding and then really breaking down the numbers on, from the, as is comps perspective. And it's like, Hey, we don't manufacture deals. We find deals. Yeah. And if you're sitting there and you're trying to manufacture that deal, then it's probably going to be a mistake. This is great that someone else came along and <laughs> manufactured it. Yeah, yeah. Like, good job. Let's move on to the next one. Exactly. And I think that's what, even like with our students, um, I try to like relay this home to them. I'm like, hey, look, if you're cold calling, okay, because this is very, you know, earlier you said, hey, I know that with 50 leads, I'm a close seven out of 50. Yep. Well, lead quality is always very different, right? Yes. Hey, if we get a bunch of TV leads and PPC leads, yeah, we better be closing at least one out of 10 bare minimum, you know, in this Vegas market. Now, if we do it in the Midwest, like we better be at a higher clip. Yes. Now, if you're cold calling sellers, that's a totally different ballgame than a seller who literally says, hey, I'm filling out because I want to sell right now. Right. You're talking about on those. Yeah. Cold call leads. Some of the nation's top cold calling units out there are closing at like one out of every 21 leads. Mm-hmm. And that's leads, real leads. How many dials did they have to make to yeah. get the 21 leads? I mean, you're talking about thousands of dials. Yeah. And I tell the students, I go, look, expect one out of 50 to work out. And that's what Robert even said too, like their data shows. And I said, look, the whole purpose of this is like, is cold calling the best thing ever to do long term? No. Is it a good way to start and build your skill set and like get out of your comfort zone and start talking to people? Yeah. Yeah. That's why we want you to. And is it cheap? Is it not going to burn you? Because if you go start paying a hundred bucks for a lead, yeah, you could get burned really quick, you know, as a newbie. Oh, for sure. And what we're also talking about with the deal analysis, the understanding, hey, is this actually a deal? Is it not a deal? Yeah. Like you can also lose all of the momentum that you have. By doing bad deals. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, that, I've done that, bad deals. That can, that can kill you. <laughs> yeah. Even as a wholesaler. I mean, sometimes when we talk about bad deals, we think about it from a flipping or landlord perspective. Yeah. But trying to dispo a deal. I mean, I can't tell you how many students we've had that have tried to dispo deals for two, three, four weeks. Yeah. And lost all of their momentum on their deal flow on acquisition. Opportunity cost. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. They're just trying to move this piece of crap. 
So yes, the the value and cold calling, getting used to being comfortable on the phone and asking the right questions. I mean, but the other part about it is, is if you're going to cold call though, don't just go into it, just trying to burn and turn and where it's like, Hey, do you want to sell? Yeah. What's the condition like? Good. Okay, cool. And then push it off to a closer. Right. Like actually try to build some skills along yeah, the way. Yeah, and rapport and everything. Right. Yeah. So with that being said too, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about just different markets because yeah. that was also one of the reasons I reached out to you. I was like, hey, in my mind, I'm in a tier one market. I understand the pros and cons. The pro is finding finding buyers is easy. Um, the, the fees are, are way bigger. But the con is it's harder to get deals. You know, it's very competitive. Yeah. And then you said, hey, well, you know, there's also the tier two markets and, you know, they're going to have smaller fees. The acquisitions are going to be much easier. But yeah, you're going to have to work hard on Dispo to sell them. Yeah. The thing about it is, is those tier two markets that we're talking about, the dispositions isn't as difficult as like there's a there's a lower tier. There's tier three, which yeah. we don't want to be in. Yeah, I mean, those are going to be the ones where you're really going to have to work. When I talk about like a tier two market, I mean, we're talking about like a Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Yeah. Okay. We got apartment there. And and the thing about that is, is you can easily find buyers in Cedar Rapids, Iowa inside of InvestorLift. So it's not like you're working dispositions, but the acquisitions is so much easier there in comparison to Vegas. Oh, right? for sure. But you're not going to get a 40K rip in Cedar Rapids. I mean, right. You can. But not very often. Everybody would look at you like the richest man. And like, <laughs> you wholesaled one for 40? What the? You must have gotten it for zero. <laughs> <laughs> you, what kind of magic is that? Right. That's not math. Exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, I, I've always you know, said, hey, anything west of Texas, obviously I'm from Texas, so I've said anything west of Texas is going to be one of those more difficult markets yeah, yeah. on acquisitions, higher assignment fees. Just north of Texas? It's all, it's all looking good. Yes. East. I mean, listen, Midwest, some about that's like the go-to markets for any virtual wholesaler that's looking to do volume. Yeah. You know, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, Georgia, Florida, Mississippi, all those places. Yeah. Great for volume, lower assignment fees, somewhere in the 10 to 12,000 average assignment range. Yeah. yeah. But you're, you know, you and you, by the way, you brought up a good point for me that made me say, all right, you know what? We're going to push the students to tier two. You were, it was momentum and you've mentioned it a few times. Yeah. And, you know, for us, it's like, yo, we, we like fat deals, man. Like I'm, I'm all about just, uh, that's just what I'm about. Right. Um, but you were like, Hey, it's, it's good to get momentum, especially for students. Cause if they start seeing, you know, themselves have one deal, whether it's five grand or not, it's like, yo. That's a deal. Like mm -hmm. I'm motivated now, dude. I, I had a student that just posted a check for $3,800. They're hyped. The reason why he was hyped is because that got him over six figures this year. Mm. And that was such a monumental moment for him. Right. He did the deal in Oklahoma. Yeah. Whereas he, he lives in Utah. Yeah. The thing about that is, is that was such a monumental, like six figures. Yep. Whereas you're talking about, that's like three deals here in Vegas. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But for other people, they look at a place like Utah and Vegas, they cannot compete with your marketing spend here. Right. So when we're talking about, Hey, I'm a student and I'm getting started and I need, I need to do a deal. 
Right. Like, go do a deal in Little Rock, Arkansas, or Tulsa, Oklahoma, or a place like that where you can get that momentum of cashing a check. It, the dollars don't really matter. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just the, it's like the ability to go to your spouse and say, hey, remember that crazy thing called wholesaling? Mm-hmm. Like, I actually got a check. I'll never forget that first check I got in 2014 was $7,500. Mm. And it was like, dude, this happened. Like, I thought it was like a scam the whole way until the 7500 <laughs> went in the bank account. I just, I was like, this is going to not work. I literally called the, the escrow officer every single day and was like, just so you know, I'm coming to a close. And I don't have $92,000. I'm not buying it. Right. This guy's and supposed to send you the money. You you say this double close could just pass through magically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, I have no $92,000. She's like, RJ, it's it's okay. I do this all day. Yeah. So the, having that feeling, I remember that still. Yeah, it's yeah. nine years ago. But at this point, you know, with our students, it's about deal flow, getting that trust factor. Mm-hmm. And then they get the confidence to say like, hey, Let's go do some marketing in Vegas yeah. and Salt Lake City and Seattle and let's yeah, see and, if we can get a deal. And that's the point of this whole program is like, for me anyways, like I'm going all in on this model and like, I know it's going to scale and crush um, as a win-win, right? The students, us, everyone. Um, but it is for sure the just stepping stone. I tell them all, I'm like, guys, I don't want you to just do deals with me forever. Like, right. let's, let's, okay, cool. You got your feet wet. You got some wins. Okay, let's go out on your own, you know, maybe start getting some better leads, you know, right. paper lead or, you know, PPC or these other things. And then we'll go that route. And that way, you know, if you can cut your teeth cold calling, this is going to feel like the easiest thing ever when you go to this. Exactly. And the the thing with cold calling and then having you guys lock up the deal. Yeah. Is they get this backseat like way to watch the transaction go down on the, how did y'all analyze the deal? Yeah. Why did you lock it up at that price? What were we able to sell it for? Right. Exactly. Right. Whereas a lot of times you don't get that kind of handhold experience, you know, it's kind of like, all right, so I got a deal under contract. My options are, I either try to dispo it on Facebook, Mm -hmm. Craigslist or JV with someone. And then they just dispo it. And I have no idea how it played out or what happened. Right. Yeah. It's just, oh, okay, I went JV with a big box wholesaler, and then the next thing you know, they said it was sold, and I'm getting 10K. Yeah. I don't know how. That's not really like educating you along No, you made money. Right. But yeah, my motto with this is like, learn while you earn. Yeah, love it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, like at this point in your career, right, you're still closing because you just love doing it. And it's what the company needed. Like you said, um, it needed this momentum and the spark. And um, now things are going well. You guys are dialed in with this model. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what's the future hold? Like, do you plan to try and scale it? Do you see yourself moving out and you know, on the business side or the, uh, not the business, but the owner side? Yep. Like, what's the plan? So I'm really big on having a younger team right now. Um We've got three 21-year-olds okay. working with us, Okay, uh, 25-year-old, um, and, and another 20-something-year-old. And, and our team's very young and very dedicated. And some of them have already been with us for three years, mm-hmm. believe it or not. 
And I'm seeing them kind of. It's better than Pizza Hut. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, I'm seeing them kind of follow in mine and Cassie's shoes, but at a much younger age to kind of eventually replace us where we are as yeah. we grow. Yeah. Um, we're just not at the point right now where I, I don't want to stop playing the game. Yeah. You know, well, you never stop playing the game. You just play a different game. Yeah. It's just I really enjoy what I'm doing right now. I'm not doing acquisitions every single day. Um, I'm you doing, hop in when you feel like it. I'm doing acquisitions when uh, I'm ready to turn the camera on and make and content, lock, lock up a deal, and yeah, I do. It's it's a lot of fun. What, what what happens to the acquisitions team when they're like, oh great, RJ's taking the leads? It's more like the dispositions team is like, uh oh, here comes a wave of contracts. We're gonna have to, yeah. you know, because they're one and the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're our team is cross trained, so it doesn't really matter if like. Do I the go. acquisitions have to dispo their own deals? Yes. Oh. So that's a, that's a huge difference is like, we don't have just dispo guys and just acquisitions guys. What do you think? Like, is the, do you think that that's the best way? Do you think I should be doing that? I don't think so. Okay. I, I, I think what's going to end up happening here is, is you already have established like to take someone that's been doing something for five years yeah, and then be like, okay, let's add dispo to this. Yeah. I think that's broken focus. Yeah. This is how we brought them up. This is how they, they don't know trained. any different. Right. Yeah. I mean, our, several years ago, our model was, you know, you're getting 20% commission, 10 mm-hmm. for acquisitions, 10 for dispo, whatever you lock up, that's what you're dispoing. Yeah. Like they essentially had like their own little business inside of our business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little bit different now with the base plus, um, but it's still their responsibility to handle the deals coming in. And then also we had to do something with me starting acquisitions back up, um, you know, we're talking about two and a half contracts a day. I mean, need more dispo. They were like, holy cow, like stop doing acquisitions. Everybody do dispo. And <laughs> RJ's a one man wrecking crew. <laughs> Everyone's dispoing. Yeah. I mean, basically he gets all the leads. <laughs> Nobody gets a lead. It, it pretty much turned into that. That's what but, I was wondering. I'm like, what do they do when you're like, you know what? I'm going to work today. Give yeah. me all the leads. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be I mean, like, Oh, F this guy, dude. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, I'm supposed to eat today. They actually love it because it's like, I mean, they, they do get paid a little bit fatter of a commission on the dispo when I do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that I'm kind of giving them the, the hookup there a little bit. Yeah, you're just basically giving them some softballs. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's like, hey, hey, boys, team needs a boost. Let me come in. Yeah. Let me get it. Let us get us going. And then the other thing is, is the feedback that comes from my experience with the leads and what's going on. It's never like, hey, I just go in and close deals. It's the constant conversations with companies like Lead Zolo. Yeah. Constant conversations with our VAs about like, hey. These aren't, these aren't correct. Right. I'm yeah. like, what, what's happening here? Or, yo, this is, this is killing it. Like, double. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there was plenty of conversations where I'm like, triple down on whatever we're doing here. Yeah. You know? I mean, I remember we got a couple of deals in certain locations I never heard of. And like they just this in Mexico. Yeah, right. I mean, they like flew off the shelves with like multiple yeah. offers. And I was like, hey, um, Lee Zolo, give me like 10 more in that city. You yeah. Know, like, I don't know what's going on here, G- but give me the exclusivity yeah, in right? that city. <laughs> just that city alone. Yeah. So, you know, I, it's it's really good for the team, though, to also have both me and Cassie still involved. Yeah. I think they really like that. Yeah. Um, and there's been times where I've 
like separated myself from that yeah to kind of go exclusively on like working on the business or the content creation and things yeah, yeah. like that and then there was a disconnect with, between me and the team yep and that's doesn't suit my personality very well got it i'm a i'm a much more hands-on like leader yeah you're a gritty guy right and so without that it was, it was i mean awkward. you were a eight-year manager at pizza hut dude yeah. like in the trenches yeah like i think that defined like the type of guy that you are in Absolutely. the workspace. I mean, listen, I I love getting in there. I mean, even when we talk about sports. Yeah. I mean, I played I'll flex on you a little bit with baseball. All right, let's I'm hear it. Minor league baseball player. Let's see what you got. Uh two time state champion. There okay. we go. In Texas. In Texas. Big deal. All okay. Right. So when I played baseball though, like there my senior year my coach gave me the opportunity to play all nine positions in one game. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he was like, dude, you're just that guy. If I needed you to play second, you played second. If I needed you to play catcher, you played catcher wherever we needed you as a team. I think that's kind of always been my personality is like, I want to be in there and making a difference for my teammates, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And even as a business owner, I've kind of approached that. I mean, dude, let's be honest. How often do you and I talk? Not often. You text me. Within 10 minutes. Yeah. I was like, yeah, bro, I got you. Yep. You're the next day. You're like, come out here. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I got you. Yeah. Like, that's just kind of my personality. Where, I'm going to step up to the plate. I mean. Make it happen. Because that's what I want to do. Yeah. Like, I, that, that's one of the legacies I want to leave behind is like, when people think of me, it's not, you know, oh, he's, you know, this big angry guy or anything like that. That's kind well, of. Yeah. And I even watched it firsthand because I've been super slammed today with you know, meeting after meeting after meeting. And I'm like, Hey, um, RJ, like, I don't know, just come and do whatever you think is best. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you've been with them the whole time. Like guys, no, this is what we're going to do. All right. Let me listen to call. And you're just sitting there listening and watching. All right. Let me see that software. Let me see that. Yeah. How do we improve this? And I'm like, Hey, RJ, you know, we got to film that podcast, right? (laughs) Let's take a break real quick. And like, let's go film that. And you know, yeah, but you know, the thing about it is, is like, you love it. I, I do love it. I it, can just see you doing it. You're like, bro, like I just live for this. I do. But I also live for the fact that I know the impact that you're going to make with your students mm. like the reach that you have. So the, the ability for me to come in and be able to help your team today. Mm-hmm. And then what you're going to be able to turn around and go do for people that are going to say, Hey, you talk about this all the time. Like, dude, you're like, n- no joke. You're one of the few people's content that I do actually consume. And you talk about it all the time. There are going to be people that resonate with you because of golf, Christianity, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. Right. They choose you to, hey, I'm going to buy this product and I'm going to do this partnership program. Yep. And now I can look back two, three years from now and hopefully say, dude, I remember that day that I spent at the office. Yep. Look at how many lives this impacted. Hundreds of people got their first deal. I mean, dude, nine years ago, I was in this city Mm -hmm. hoping to get my first deal. I locked up my first deal off the MLS in the Luxor lobby. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think about. And so to have the opportunity to come do that, um, dude, it gives me chills just to think about it. And it's like, I know, I remember looking at my mom when they said, hey, it's $65,000 for this education. Yeah. And then I looked at her and I said, I know this is what I'm supposed to do in my life. Mm. That was the moment 
where you asked me, how did you do eight years at Pizza Hut? I don't know. Cause I didn't know what to do. I didn't know about this yet. Yeah. 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 When I found out it was like, no, this is what I'm supposed to do. And yeah, I am passionate about it because I know it works. Yeah. And I know it's really fun to be able to tell your guys, be you, be raw, be transparent with sellers and be honest and you're going to win. Yeah. Like that's really awesome where it's not about playing games. Yep. There's no manipulation. Yep. There's no anything. It's just about being yourself and solving problems. Um, it's going to be really awesome to see. By the way, you're stuck with me now. I I, I can't just leave. Dang it, dude. I know. I can't just leave and like, hope this works. Yeah. Like, I got to make it work now. Well, yeah. Well, now your name's riding on the line. Yeah, on exactly. The success. You've attached your <laughs> your name to this. So we, we better make it work. I know, right? I mean, you know, but otherwise, I, what am I going to do with all these fake wrestling balls? <laughs> like, yeah, he said he's, he, you know, maybe he's good himself. I don't know. He, he, he apparently yeah. closed 125 <laughs> deals, but didn't work for us. Yeah. I, I told you guys, I was like, Hey, listen, um, Ryan says his podcast is going to start in like 20 minutes. No pressure, but I want a contract. And they're like, okay, <laughs> 20 minutes, huh? No like, pressure. Like, I, mean, I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, I appreciate you coming out, man. I appreciate the support and um, the students appreciate it. Um, and I know people watching this right now are going to get a ton of value. And so guys, um, make sure you go subscribe to RJ's channel. The dude is killing it. And, um, you know, you can go see his 50 day challenge. And on top of that too, like he, like he said in the beginning, I mean, he discovered me. And so, um, I'm just trying to repay the favor and make people discover him. And Do so you remember the moment in which I told you that you needed to grow a beard and that would 10 extra business. You, when did you tell me that? Dude, it was in the podcast in 2018. You didn't in 2018. listen. To, yeah. You were like, Hey man, genetics, like I'm skinny, but I can't grow a beard. I couldn't. Yeah. You still can't, but you oh, come on, that. dude, dude, this beard is legit. <laughs> I, I always told myself, I was like, dude, the only thing I'm missing in my life is a beard. If I could ever grow a beard, it's just not fair. Like, I mean, I'm a 10 X. It looks pretty good. I'm Thank you. Thank it you. Look good. It's all minoxidil for anyone asking and biotin. <laughs> like seriously, I put it on. I could not believe it. And then it I worked. grew a beard. It worked. Yeah. So we'll put some on your head. It'll work. <laughs> it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's over, bro. Give up. No, bro. Hey, I thought I was a lost cause too. I thought I was a baby faced Asian who had no, no chance. No. You didn't have hair and then it started growing. Oh, you lost. I it. had hair and <laughs> it decided to there, start. There is it's a difference. It's not coming back, bro. There's a difference. <laughs> it's over. I had, I had untapped potential. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Guys, follow RJ, man. And thanks for watching. We'll see you later. Peace. I was broke 24 months ago. Now I'm worth over $100 million. Like it happens so fast. Every year, there's tens of thousands of people that come into this industry and they spend all their money on education and training and tools and 99% will never do a single deal. And then they'll quit. There needs to be a better way